0: i uh-huh. uh-huh. everyone and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character and a great story i'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing paula and charles from the film gaslight and joining us for the discussion is first time guest nicole freim welcome nicole
1: hi thanks for having me
0: very glad to have you on uh, listeners to our uh, ground pod day special will have heard nicole on our yes. feed mm-hmm. uh but it feels very strange that we have not had you on because I think it's probably been three or four years since we've been talking about getting you on the <laughs> podcast.
1: Well, but those were pandemic years. So those yeah. count, I think, you know, e- both longer and shorter.
0: Yeah. Well, I we've been uh, we've known each other through academic, you know, professional conferences for over a decade for sure. <laughs> Gosh, when was back. when was your
1: first PCA?
0: I was probably like 2007ish, somewhere in that range.
1: Okay, so yeah, we're getting close to 20 years now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so oh uh, when we started the podcast, you were on the list of like people, oh, we need to get Nicole on, and now we are finally doing it and Yay. it's just for a fun light film that we can yes. just make jokes about as we go through <laughs> and talk oh, about. Oh, yes, gas this
1: life. is this is really a crowd pleaser.
0: Yes. So the 1944 film Gaslight was directed by George Kerr and starred Ingrid Bergman as Paula Anton and Charles Boyer as Gregory Anton. And it tells the story of a manipulative husband causing his wife to believe that she is insane. Mm -hmm. And this is the origin of the term gaslighting, which really was not used much until about a decade ago and now you hear it everywhere but mostly i hear it or see it misused everywhere and that's one reason i <laughs> wanted to talk about the film is can we actually nail down the proper <laughs> usage of gaslighting right
1: right i mean considering that the that the play was written in 1938 it, you know yes it didn't become a popular term until just recently so
0: yeah and it was interesting that uh, it seemed uh, it, it's almost like the the term went viral uh, and suddenly it was everywhere
1: yes yes it did. It became a huge thing. And I don't think that it was necessarily, like you said, people misuse it and they don't really, they don't connect it to the film or the mm-hmm. play. Uh,
0: Nicole, do you remember when you first knew about the film Gaslight or when you first watched it?
1: Actually, I knew about the play first. I oh. had this old book of uh, mysteries, mystery and suspense plays. And it had this, I think I had, uh, um, dialem for murder. I think I had, I think arsenic and old lace was in there. And, and so that's how I knew it first was as a play. I didn't see the film until, um, probably, I don't know. I think sometime in college
0: i mean that makes sense uh if you're going to study film that's when you get exposed to a lot of um, <laughs> this this era of of cinema
1: mm-hmm. actually, I never studied film in college I oh, mean, No, no just... i my undergrad degrees are in uh English and theater
0: mm. but with your pop culture emphasis of your academia, I just assumed it might have been in the mix there for
1: no i'm just a uh i'm a film nerd i've studied film now i mean Mm -hmm. later on not in undergrad though so
0: yeah okay well i i think i heard some professors mention the film when talking about film noir and psychological thrillers from the 1940s but i definitely did not watch it uh until last night for the first time
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay all right
0: but uh because of the the term gaslighting becoming so commonly used i had read uh some summaries of the film and you know right. seen allusions to the film as mm-hmm. there were like explainer articles when people started to use the term a lot mm-hmm. um and so i i knew about it and i thought uh oh, you know i i do enjoy a good 1940s noir uh you know <laughs> moody <laughs> mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. suspense piece and so i was like oh i need to watch that and i just never got around to it but um, like I said, it, it's been one that's been on our radar to talk about, um, and it's very well done. <laughs> I have to say.
1: Well, she won. A, she won an Oscar for it.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Ingrid mm-hmm. Bergman is mm-hmm. going to win the Academy Award.
1: And and Jackson. wow, young Angela Lansbury. Yeah, Mrs.
0: Potts. <laughs> what are you doing?
1: <laughs> Being a saucy wench is what she was doing.
0: <laughs> <a> inappropriate behavior. <laughs> <laughs> that this is her first film role uh for angela lansbury yes and, and she yes. was nominated for an academy award for it so mm-hmm. like you know off to the races uh as far
1: as her <laughs> career that's got to be a lot of pressure when that happens for your first one i
0: know but uh i mean if you could turn it into uh a, a how many a seven decade career
1: <laughs> right yeah <laughs> you
0: know mm-hmm. it, it, it can work out okay Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, eventually she she really took that mystery to heart. And, you know, that's how we got uh, Murder, she wrote.
0: Yes, she's going to end up solving many, many <laughs> <laughs> mysteries instead of being it, it's the, uh, maybe we should save it for later. But I guess she's a little bit of an un, it almost feels unwitting accomplice to a murderer in this one.
1: It is a little questionable of, as to exactly how much she knows. Because they do not tie
0: up that loose end.
1: No, they don't. Mm hmm.
0: They make it explicitly clear that the older maid is has been kind of uh, uh, duped into helping the husband mm-hmm. uh, manipulate and
1: Allah. figures it out, yes, mm-hmm. but Angela, we're not quite sure
0: and it, the, the the what we see of the character certainly feels like she would have been a willing accomplice, oh yeah. <laughs> all right, some trivia about Gaslight. Uh this is an American film that is both an adaptation of the 1938 play that you've mentioned by Patrick Hamilton and it's also a remake of a 1940 British film. And the general plot of a husband trying to convince his wife that she's insane to distract her while he is doing some criminal things, that is the same in all of these works, uh but some of the specifics do vary. Mhm. Um, And I thought this was really interesting when I came across this. When MGM bought the rights to make an American version of the 1940 British film Gaslight, the contract stipulated that every single existing copy of the British film, including the original negatives, must be destroyed.
1: Wow. (laughs) Jeez. Talk about uh, um, uh, imposter syndrome or something. Yes. That's not quite right. But I mean, that's, that's really like... MGM clearly had some issues, huh?
0: Yeah. And how... I mean... How much are they paying to, to try and say we are the only existing version of this that has ever, ever been?
1: Not that studios ever do anything uh, selfish or self-centered. No,
0: no, that's no. that is very. Yeah. I mean, that is an era long in the past.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is trivia. It might be. It might be. You know. You might have heard wrong. I'm <laughs> sure they wouldn't do something like that. No,
0: no. Uh, but. <laughs> Uh, Worth noting, the British Film Company did not follow through on that, and you can find the 1940 version of the British film pretty easily uh, today. Um, So Gaslight was critically acclaimed when it came out. Ingrid Bergman won the Academy Award for Best Actress. The film won the award for Best Art Direction, Black and White. There were different categories at that time for color Mm -hmm. and black and white art direction. Uh and it was also nominated for, let me get them all right, uh, Charles Boyer for Best Actor, Angela Lansbury for Best Supporting Actress, uh, Best Motion Picture, John uh, L. Balderston, Walter Reich, and John Van Druten were nominated for best screenplay, and Joseph Ruttenberg was nominated for best cinematography, black and white. Again, they split
1: mm-hmm. excuse me.
0: <clears throat> Again, they split the cinematography category between black and white and color at that that time. And in 2019, Gaslight was added to the National Film Registry, which attempts to preserve important artifacts of American mm-hmm. cinema history forever.
1: Well, <laughs> I, and I would say that this is this is one that should be in there.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it makes sense. Uh, and mm-hmm. it also makes sense that it didn't happen until 2019, because that's like you
1: know, <laughs> when Gaslighting became popular. Again, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs>
0: right. oh, Gaslight, mm-hmm. Gaslight, that's really mm-hmm. a hot term. Where does that come from? Let's preserve that film. Uh, But it is, uh, like, even before that, it was noted as a film classic, and it would have definitely been in, like, the rotation on Turner Classic movies and things like that. Right. Uh, The film was financially successful. It grossed $4.6 million in the U.S. on a $2 million budget. And a little bit of trivia about the term gaslighting. Mm -hmm. A term that is important, but also terribly misused since it gained mainstream usage about a decade ago. Now, the term is frequently used to basically mean lying. (laughs) Like, (laughs) someone is lying. They are gaslighting me. Okay. Okay. That can be part of the process of gaslighting. Um, but as we, when we get to the plot description of the film, you'll see it is much more intense than just simply lying to someone's face. And it is specifically efforts to make someone doubt their own experience, often carried out by an abusive loved one or a group of people working in concert, And according to the American Psychological Association, the term refers to manipulation so extreme as to induce mental illness or to justify commitment of the gaslighted person to a psychiatric institution. And the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, uh, the definition labels it as psychological manipulation that makes someone question their own reality and lead to dependence on the perpetrator. And it was first used in that way in the 1950s, but didn't really gain traction uh, again until the 2010s. Right. Right. So it's not just lying. It's uh, like the level of manipulation. It's much more than that. Yes. It's much more intense than than just saying my fact versus your fact. Mm -hmm. Uh, In particular, Mm -hmm. it's making you doubt your perception of reality to the point that you consider that you yourself may be insane. Right. All right, but we will get into how the husband does this in just a moment. Before we do that, listeners, we want to thank you for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank any of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming, that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast, and all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss as a full episode of of the show. On to the full summary of Gaslight. In 1875, a teenage Paula leaves the house where the aunt who raised her, a famous opera singer named Alice Alquist, was murdered. Paula goes to Italy to study singing. Ten years later, Paula has fallen in love with her piano accompanist, Gregory Anton. Before committing to her relationship with him, which has been a bit of a whirlwind affair, Paula wants to go away and get a little yeah, alone weeks. time at lake como Uh, but when she arrives there anton surprises her that he's already there to greet her and they spend the vacation time together talking about their future life together anton muses that he has always wanted to live in a square in london it's so orderly paula says that she actually inherited a house in london and they could move there after they get married which they do they go to the house which has been closed for the intervening decade and all of her aunt's old belongings are still around. Uh, and they go in and start looking at things. Anton suggests that having such negative memories uh, for Paula, these things should be stored in the attic and they'll refurnish the whole house. I do wonder about like, this is just one of those families. that's just intergenerational wealth. That's we're going right. to hand wave. We're not even going to ask the question of how can they afford any of these things?
1: <laughs> no. <Mm-mm>.
0: no. Uh <laughs> Well, and they're that. and
1: they're friends with the aristocracy since they get invited to the you know the party. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: Anyway. Yes. Yeah, so this is just the, she was raised in the upper crust and remains in the upper crust.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: before they do that, though, they look at the piano and Anton starts playing some, and Paula looks through the piano music and finds a letter dated only a couple days before her aunt's murder, and is from a man named uh, Bauer, and Bauer is asking to meet. Her aunt the woman who was murdered Anton angrily grabs the letter from Paula oh yes uh, uh, <laughs>
1: big <laughs> clash on the piano don't So don't
0: I, was, um, I was watching this with my wife and it just immediately she hated Anton which is what <laughs> the entire audience is supposed to feel like I, yes, yes I felt that too yes. like that mm-hmm. is our take um, mm-hmm. it, I think this film or at least I've heard it put in conversation with something like um, What Lies Beneath but in that one mm. we're not sure what we're supposed to think about you know, the character for a good chunk of the time, I think pretty much immediately as an audience, we're supposed to distrust Anton in this one. Yes. And, uh, and know that he is, he is the bad guy. This is the villain of the piece. Mm -hmm. So Anton tells Paula that she is always losing things and she's very forgetful. She says, I don't, Think I am. <laughs> kind of like, did I did I forget that I'm forgetful? Right. <laughs> and he's gonna give her a piece of jewelry that is a family heirloom, and he cautions her to be very careful with it because she's always misplacing things. She starts to put it on her necklace and he says, No, the, the pin on that brooch is loose. Let's uh put it into your handbag, and he puts it there for her. I'll and get it out.
1: fixed for you later.
0: Yes, they mm-hmm. go out together, and uh while they're out, Paula reaches into her handbag and realizes the jewelry is missing. Uh, even though she has not opened the handbag and she panics because she knows her husband is uh, saying that she's been very forgetful lately. Uh, When they get home, she tries to sneak away, but then he asks for it back so that he can repair it. And she has to confess that it has gone missing. And he says, Oh, you know, he's clearly disappointed, but says, Oh, don't worry. It's, it's not that important. And he does this all the time where, like, mm-hmm. he does something to make her feel foolish and stupid. And uh, then he, he, he gives her the flash of his anger, but then he tries to be the nice guy again yes. and, and tell her it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see, Uh, when they were out, there was a young Scotland guard inspector who saw Paula and thought she looked remarkably like an opera singer he had a crush on when he was a child. He remembers the murder of this opera singer, Alice, uh, was in the news. And so he goes and looks into the old files of the case and he discovers that Alice owned very valuable jewels that went missing the night of the murder and they've never been recovered. Uh, And he's going to start looking into this. Anton accuses his wife of taking paintings down in the house and hiding them. Though she swears (laughs) she has never touched the painting. Um, And and it's it's, uh, just such an awkward scene. when He's going to bring
1: all the help in and and Mm -hmm. grill
0: them in front of his wife saying, did you take the painting that's clearly missing from the wall here? Uh, And then he makes them kiss the Bible to promise they haven't. (laughs) And... Uh, then she's going to see the painting when she's going up to her room and and give it back to Anton. He's like, how did you know it was there? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Also, she thinks the gaslight in her room keeps lowering and everyone else in the house says, no, there's no reason it would have lowered. We haven't adjusted it. No one's lit anything. Uh, And so she thinks maybe she's going a little bit crazy about the gaslight. She also hears footsteps above her room, but Anton insists there's no possible way anyone has been in the attic above her. Uh, They're invited to a a party hosted by an old family friend, and Anton replies that his wife is too unwell to attend the party. But that night, she announces she wants to go out. Anton says you would have to go alone. I'm not going. And she says, fine, I will. And this shocks him because he thinks that he's manipulated enough that she is uh, going to be completely reclusive at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he like hastily jumps up. and says, Fine. If it's so important to you, I will go too.
1: Oh, did you think I wouldn't go with you? Oh, you silly thing. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> the, he does. The actor does some great looks of panic whenever, uh, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> she is doing things that he doesn't like. Um And, As they're heading out, uh, Anton accuses her of taking his watch. And she says she hasn't taken it. But when they're at the party, he's going to find the watch in her handbag. And she's going to have a hysterical breakdown. When they get home, Paula says, all the strangeness started when they moved into the house. Uh, And then she's like, "It it was when I found that letter. And Anton tells her that he first became worried about her when she found this letter, because she said she was reading a letter, and he looked, and she was holding nothing; it was just air that she was looking at, and she—it she, just boggles her mind. She's like, "I, I remember the letter." Um, the Scotland Yard inspector uh, begins watching Anton closely. He sees him go into an abandoned house that's next to the one he lives in. Uh, and when Anton is gone, he goes. the The inspector goes in to interview Paula, and while he's with Paula, he notices the gaslight lower. And asks what just happened, which leaves Paula because he saw it too. Right, right. <laughs> this is like mm-hmm. the first confirmation that I'm not imagining things uh they hear footsteps uh and uh anton is entering the attic from the vacant house to search through alice uh alice's old belongings looking for those jewels that went missing the night of the murder uh we uh, like all the dots are pretty clear for us now he committed the murder couldn't steal the jewelry before uh he had to run away and has committed a a decade-long con (laughs) to get back (laughs) you know in in order to find these jewels
1: you have to admire the commitment
0: yeah, uh <laughs> there's been quite a few steps that he has taken to pull this off. Um let's see. Uh sorry, lost my spot in the summary. Uh so Cameron is going to find the letter that uh Paula Uh, found on that first night back in and and she's going to see it again and realize okay I didn't make that up I really did see that letter Anton has been lying to me they deduce that Anton is Bauer uh, and he murdered Alice and when Anton returns he and Cameron are going to have a fight Cameron is going to tie Anton up and then uh, Cameron the inspector is going to let Paula go see Anton And Anton is going to beg her to cut him free. And she says, there's no knife in here. And he says, look, on the table, there's a knife. You can cut me free. And Mm -hmm. she picks it up and starts walking towards him and says, you must be imagining things. I'm only holding air as she points the knife at him. (laughs) (laughs) And she gives uh, a lovely monologue, which is why she won the Academy Award. And then the police are going to take Anton away. And that Inspector Cameron is going to say he would like to check in on Paula and make sure she's doing okay. The end. Yep. You always have to have that promise in the in 1940s film of, don't worry, there will be romance.
1: <laughs> yes, yes.
0: She's not going to be a spinster, a spinster because yes. she's been terribly manipulated for a decade. <laughs> you know, or, or traumatized for a decade and terribly de- uh, manipulated for about a year here.
1: Don't worry, we're not going to take a woman as lovely as Ingrid Bergman and, and have her on her own. Yes. We'll pair her up with somebody. <laughs>
0: uh, Nicole. Yes. Do you have any initial thoughts about the film that we want to just make sure we cover? <laughs> Cause I think there's so much we might lose track of everything that's, there's worth addressing. In this.
1: That's true. That's true. There's um, I, I obviously I watched it again, sort of preparing for this and some of the things, you know, how you, you notice things the the second time you watch it, the sort of like these little things and um, their performances were great. I mean, mm-hmm. um, Uh, Paula and Anton they were they were fabulous performances but yes there were little things that that the moment when um when she finds the letter he had been playing the piano and there was sort of the crash on the piano that was like the first time we really saw a crack in his facade because up to that point he was a little creepy and smarmy and he didn't give her room when she wanted room you know i need to go away and think before i agree to marry you and he okay sure take all the time you want surprise i'm here you know okay. but i mean so that but and then also when um uh the neighbor bessie was trying to come visit and he got angry about the guest that was another one like you see these occasional little cracks that up and up, aside from those he could he could just be a jerk, he could just be a jerk and not be doing something nefarious, so i I kind of love those, but then then there are like little moments like when she's on the train and she's going to Lake Como and she's talking to the woman who then later turns out to be her neighbor mm-hmm. who people call me bloodthirsty Bessie. And she spends her time. Re- she's reading a book about a deceptive man who murdered his wives. And I'm like, hmm. Foreshadow much? <laughs> yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's he doesn't. Two on here. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, there's there's some other ones. Um. I also. I mean. I think we'll get to her. Her last monologue. Um. But I will say when when she was doing the last one about is it a not you know I'm always losing things. Listening to her, I was like, oh my God, Isabella sounds exactly like her mother. The cadence of the speech and and the way she was speaking, it sounded exactly like Isabella Rossellini, but of course, Isabella sounds like her mm-hmm. rather than the other way around. Yeah. So.
0: Anyway. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, there's there's so much that is good, but also some of it does feel a little dated in how maybe how much is laid out for the audience. Like there's not mm-hmm. maybe trust that the audience is going to do it. Some of it is, there's a little handholding. Uh,
1: That's, that true. That That's true. That's um, true. Um, yeah.
0: But I did want to say one thing that I think actually held up remarkably well and I liked even better than modern filmmaking is the depth and the lighting. Uh, like just... Because so much of modern filmmaking is often done on green screens, there's a flatness that very much happens. And right. mm-hmm. uh, there was just such stark lighting of the layers. And thinking about like the care that was taken to like get the actors' faces lit, but mm-hmm. you know all the dar- darkness behind them. But then the next layer back behind that is lit again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it, I was just really impressed with the set design and the lighting work uh, that was being done
1: and also shadows we had a fair mm-hmm. amount of shadows too um i i can recall like different times on the staircase and things like that mhm
0: yeah, yeah. It, it you could like feel the physicality of the space which uh very much this is um one of those noir stories where uh you know the the house itself becomes a character yes uh and there was um there was some comment that i saw let me see if i can if I can find who said it, but talked about that in this era in the forties, there is a wave of films that have, um, here we go. Uh, Emmanuel Levy said this. It says, a thriller, soaked in paranoia, Gaslight is a period f- uh, film noir like Hitchcock's The Lodger and Hangover Square set in the Edwardian age. It's interesting to speculate about the prominence of a film cycle in the 1940s that can be described as Don't Trust Your Husband. It began with three Hitchcock films, Rebecca, Suspicion and Shadow of a Doubt, continued with Gaslight and Jane Eyre, uh, Dragonwick, Notorious, The Spiral Staircase, The Two Mrs. Carrolls, Sorry, Wrong Number, Sleep, My Love. All these films use the noir visceral vocabulary and share the same premise in narrative structure the life of a rich sheltered woman is threatened by an older deranged man often her husband and all of them the house usually a symbol of sheltered security becomes a trap of terror
1: Mm -hmm. well and this is like you said i mean you mentioned i mean it's going back to jane Eyre and the mad woman in the attic right although in this case the it wasn't it It was was the abusive husband husband. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah
0: uh, and I, you, when you were talking about what you liked about the film and you said, like, he, he could just be a jerk. Uh, there's that. But he's there's no way you can see any of this and not say he's he's super manipulative. Right. Yes. So, so yes. jerk. But but it's like, evil, well, I mean, I, I, I like like does he have ulterior motives for crime in this case, uh, right. which is what he has. Uh, but there's uh, any number of films and stories and real life experiences that we can point to where. The very often the man is manipulative Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in evil ways, but he's not doing it to cover up a crime, (laughs) which is what we have in this one.
1: Right. Right. As opposed to just being manipulative because he's that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Um, And some of the things that he I mean, even just the little the little ways that he's manipulative of he doesn't want her to put the coal in the fire, ring the bell cord to make the servant come do it. But then, you know, when the servant shows up, then he's flirting with Nancy in front of, in front of his wife. And it, and it sort and of he just, also
0: makes her be the, like he makes her kind of be the pushy one towards yes, the servant.
1: Yes. Oh, she wanted you. It wasn't me. She rang for you. Like, Oh, she can't be bothered to put the coal in the fireplace instead of, but, but she was going to, and you told her to ask for help. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, he is, uh, it is a great performance of Slimeball. Yes. As you said, there's, there's all these little moments of manipulation as well as the big ones. Mm -hmm. Um, the the isolation that he's going to ensure uh, that she experiences i mean the the sleight of hand that he does to to both remove and plant mm-hmm. things uh that it, that he says and and the whole scene with the picture like those are big ones but every conversation that they have you actually can start to track like he's twisting her experience yes. like mm-hmm. in front of the audience's eyes he's mm-hmm. reframing things in a way that makes her question herself and uh ensures that she I mean, this is his hope and it lasts most of the film is going to see him as the rational authority figure. Yes.
1: Yes. Although I have to, I, now that I'm thinking about it, right. I, cause I, I remember when I was watching this, this time, I, the, the point at which I thought this time that I was like, oh yeah, there's something really wrong with him was when they went, let's go to the tower of London. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at the jewels And he's got this like strangely obsessive look on his face as he's describing the jewels and he's just staring and fixated. And I was looking at this and I'm like, wow, the first time I, I don't remember, like the first time I saw it, I don't remember thinking, like thinking that that was as weird as I think it is now, (laughs) (laughs) but it, it is, it's really, it's really creepy. (laughs) yes (laughs)
0: um and he uh in that same trip i think there's another good subtle one where uh they're leaving the tower and i can't remember where they're gonna go but he says it's this way and then she's like you told me you've never been in london how do you know which way uh it is and there's this the it's in the
1: guidebook
0: the Mm -hmm. pause of panic of oh no but then he covers like Mm -hmm. like you see the, the the mask come back on it's like, oh, the guy. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, it's in the guidebook or the, or the, the guide mentioned it. When we were and
1: right after that is when he turns it. Who was that guy who raised his hat to you? Why did you acknowledge him? And turns into this whole jealousy thing, which is, of course, a, a you know, a common tactic to sort of derail. Right. OK, I don't want you to think about this thing. I'm going to distract you and I'm going to put you on the defensive. Why were you being so nice to this random man? Where do you know him from?
0: Yeah, he kind of like hand waves his explanation and then, Mm -hmm. you know, shifts everything onto her uh, in in this negative way and puts her on the defensive.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And I mean, this was written in, I mean, the plays from 1938, but it feels like a very, in many ways, like our modern understanding of, of manipulation and abuse
1: uh, is, yes, is present. It does. It does. Which I, I don't know if that says more about the fact that people have been like this for millennia, or that we're only now starting to acknowledge and understand that people are like this.
0: Yes. Um When I was looking up I wanted to make sure I get the details right, so I'm going to pull it up real real quick. But the, the play, I was like, because uh, um, my wife, Emily, when I said, oh, it was based on a play, and she's like, was a play written by a woman? That <laughs> was, was her first question <laughs> after she had seated off of this. Like, no, it was, it was a man. And it, so it's, um, uh, what is the Patrick Hamilton is the mm-hmm. name of the playwright. But it says. The first note about this on wikipedia it was written during a dark period in hamilton's life uh prior to writing the play he was hit by a drunk driver and dragged to the streets of london which left him with a per- uh, paralyzed a uh, permanent limp and a paralyzed arm and a disfigured face and shortly after his his mother took her own life so he's not in a good place about the human condition when He's no, writing this, and no. he's not Mm-mm. thinking trustingly of other people uh i i, I would say
1: no Mm-mm. <laughs>
0: and uh there is definitely a darkness uh that that permeates we but it does like it we joked about it like being the classic comedy moment of you know comedies end with the promise of a romantic future mm-hmm. uh and that's what this this film does give us that little bit of light at the end um but i, I think oh, i don't ahead.
1: think it's in the play
0: I was going to say, uh, is that in the play? It was one question I had. Is that something that like, the studio said? We need to have that.
1: I I uh, honestly, it's been, it's been some years since I've read it. And I unfortunately have lost that book. Uh, that was the collection. I don't think that it was. I, yeah. I, I'm to me, it seemed, it seems more Hollywoody, you know, filmy. We need. Yeah. It, it mm-hmm. felt like
0: the studio system, uh, putting a finger on the scale of the story.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, but, but what I was gonna say, actually, for me, the, like, the relief isn't in that little final coda scene, which is a very brief scene, uh, mm-hmm. at the end. Mm-hmm. It's during her monologue. Oh, yes. <laughs> that yes. That's when it actually, like, feels like, oh, the world is, like, balance is restoring to this world.
1: <laughs> well, it was a, it was an interesting change, because really, not long before that, she was falling to pieces. Mm-hmm. And as soon as um as soon as the inspector um what's his name Brian Cameron um Cameron uh, Brian Cameron yeah um tells her you're you're not going insane you're and I wrote this I remember I wrote this, you're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind you know you're not going out of your mind you're being driven out of your mind mhm and they found the letter so it wasn't it wasn't all in her imagination he heard this person upstairs he saw the gaslight go down so now sort of with all of that but it makes me kind of wonder a little bit because she had sort of that moment of sort of this realization of everything and then cameron goes out he's going to try and catch him when he comes out of the 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 a vacant building. But he didn't go back. Anton didn't go back. He came through the door that had been boarded up and he came down and he started confronting his wife because she'd broken into his desk. And when he calls Elizabeth up and, and said, you know, because his wife has said, the man told me this. And Elizabeth says, you know, denies it. There was no man.
0: I think as an audience, we're supposed to Read this as Elizabeth, the maid, is protecting Paula. Yes. But, but it does – I remember also thinking, like, eh, did I not
1: pay enough attention? Is she in on this? Is she <laughs> – no, I, I understood that she was protecting yeah.
0: her. But no, I just had a little bit of both. Like, but at the same second.
1: time, I mean, this is sort of that question of is how much is Paula acting at that moment? Mm -hmm. because she had been on the verge of breaking down and then she felt better because, okay, someone else is a witness to this. It's not just me. I've had it all confirmed. And then her husband is there shouting at her again. And she's saying it was the man, it was some man, and he came in and he did it. And I'm wondering how much is she really – how much is she playing him at that point? Because that's not very far from when, I mean, time-wise, from when she goes upstairs to, I want to have a minute with my husband, and she starts delivering that monologue, which is so totally, I'm back in control. I know what's going on. So so that, that kind of struck, stuck out to me. I'm kind of trying to figure out – how much was she acting at that moment? Was she, was she starting to second guess herself? Or was she pretending to be as befuddled as before? What do you think?
0: Yeah. I will be honest. This final moment, uh, like this whole, um, you know, interactions where the inspector leaves and the husband comes back and then the maid comes up. I was starting to lose the plot just a little bit of like wait what (laughs) why are some of these choices being made okay in this like it does come together uh, Mm -hmm. very well at the Mm -hmm. end but if if there's like one thing that i'd say another pass to try and tighten things up maybe giving a little bit more clarity to everyone's motivations in these bits um (laughs) and uh the what you said like there there is this fear of a moment that she is going to lose it because particularly like after the play like she she has a hysterical episode she you she truly is starting to doubt herself um and wonder am i doing all these things that my husband says i'm doing that i have no memory of doing and then she like you said she gets this clarity but then when the i, I think in particular when the maid comes up and says there was no man which again we know is trying to protect her mm-hmm. uh from from the husband, it does introduce doubt again for her. Like, wait, was I imagining that too? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, And I think there's reason for it to be played ambiguously with what we have from everyone.
1: Uh, Mm -hmm.
0: And so when you're like, well, which way do you read it? I think there's a reason for us to see Ingrid Bergman's performance as being a little bit of both. Of Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm playing, but there's doubt. (laughs) Right, right. Within this.
1: But yes, the scene... um, when when you know the inspector has has uh, defeated him and he's tied to the chair and she says, "I'd like to speak to my husband," you know, and she goes in to talk to him and the door's closed and he's trying to sweet talk her. Uh, you know, cut me free. There's a knife right there. Cut me free. We'll escape. And how she just sort of lays into him. It's. <laughs> I love so it.
0: starts. It. She says, so she picks up the knife and she says, "Are you suggesting that this is a knife that I hold in my hand? Have you gone mad, my husband?" <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and yeah, I I almost wish she she played with him a little bit more and like threatened him a little bit more because she tosses it away pretty quick. Uh, again, I think maybe well, the and, but want but then her point
1: was I'm always losing things. Yeah, where did yes. it go? And
0: she throws it away. <laughs> and I, I I pulled up the the last bit of it. She says, if I were not mad, I could have helped you. Whatever you had done, I could have pitied and protected you. But because I am mad, I hate you. Because I am mad, I have betrayed you. Because I'm mad, I'm rejoicing in my heart without a shred of pity, without a shred of regret, watching you go with glory in my heart. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just to say, this is what you have done.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think too, I mean, mean, that is sort of part of the point of the whole thing about um, the relationship, right, was that if her feelings were real, so that, if he had put in if he had treated her well, she probably would have just given him i mean he could have he could have searched for you know looked through the the stuff and found the jewel- i mean he could have had the jewels without all of this,
0: yes <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, and he's married to someone who has money, she's got a great house, and mm-hmm. you know I mean, come on. You, you, of course then there's that little thing didn't Cameron said he, At he the end, has a yeah. wife already you know but uh,
0: yes he does say that but also we get um, uh, Anton's motivation yes where he says I don't ask you to understand me between us all the time were those jewels like a fire a fire in my brain that separated us those jewels which I wanted all my life I don't know why goodbye Paula Mm-hmm. Uh, like this, I don't even know why I was obsessed with the jewels, but I have had this obsession with finding those jewels. And we saw, as you said, that creepy moment in mm-hmm. the tower mm-hmm. when he like lets that again that facade crack through, and, and yep. we see the real him. Is this obsession <laughs> with jewels, with the beauty, mm-hmm. the the light inside of them, mm-hmm. uh, and the idea of their like their long lives? <laughs> like there's something about them that just fascinates him. And I kind of like that they say, like his grandmother was just, I don't know why. <laughs>
1: well but this is this is the idea right that um that people who who do this sort of thing who are mentally abusive to someone else often have their own issues and this Mm -hmm. was his right that this was he's not he's not normal right I mean, I think that's sort of maybe a way of trying to say, see, if he'd been in his right mind, this might not have happened.
0: Yeah, he's not well, uh, which, which is driving him to through because of his obsession to put one of the more convoluted evil plans. Yes, uh, <laughs> We've we've talked we've talked about 400 stories. There's been a lot of evil plans that we've covered on this podcast. This one's up there in terms mm-hmm, of how convoluted mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. When his end goal is to get his hands on jewels that his wife has well walked him into the house where the jewels are. <laughs> yep. And, and you know there you go one
1: <laughs> <There>. <laughs> so why do you need to make a big production he was clearly a theater kid in his younger days
0: yes <laughs> he is he, he he has a dramatic flair <laughs> yes yes <laughs> um and uh i th- i think one other interesting thing that's worth thinking about is um because the term gaslighting like they they say in some of the descriptions i saw it's like um, or a group of individuals like in the film, and and in that reading of the film, very mm-hmm. much at the very least, the Angela Lansbury character is involved in manipulating her.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think that's maybe written by someone who only read a plot synopsis and didn't watch the whole mm-hmm. film. Because-
1: <laughs> well, I think that I I don't know that I think that that Nancy was really in, involved. I think Nancy believes what believes what she's been told. When you start mm-hmm. a new job and, Nancy
0: is the Angela Lansbury here. Mm-hmm,
1: you get hired and the man says, you know don't bother my wife she's not all there. And you see her in positions where you're like, okay, this seems kind of questionable. You just accept it. And, and we also know that Nancy is a little bit of a you know, um what would be the polite way to put this? Uh, Is there, is there a female equivalent of skirt chaser?
0: (laughs) Hmm. Um, Hmm. Let's just say she enjoys the company of men. We are shown.
1: Okay. So (laughs) the idea of, you know, the man of the house, uh, paying attention to her and the suggestion that when my wife goes away, you can still stay here and, help take care of me Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah
0: because she's gonna be like the most instrumental that we see is that she's gonna be the second uh witness to help uh have uh, paula institutionalized because that's all it takes is two witnesses (laughs) to institutionalize a woman
1: (laughs) (laughs) well you know if two people think you're crazy i mean really do you need more proof
0: uh but but I agree with you with your take. Like we're just not given any evidence that she is really scheming or manipulating the way like, like she has become a pawn in his manipulations. Right. In some ways a too-willing pawn, in mm-hmm. uh, yes. his manipulations. But she he has not like brought her in that, hey, we're trying to get these jewels mm-hmm. over here. Mm-hmm. And and the the um the the older maid and also uh the younger maid, they do seem to legitimately think, there's no reason that your gaslight level would have changed um, when right. he's gone up to the attic, because they don't know he's up in the attic and has lit it, and they're saying no one, no one else in the house has lit a gas. You know,
1: well, and of gas. course that's the thing, right? If if I hear noises upstairs, quick, come here, come here, listen to this, and then nothing's happening. Of course, the other person is going to think, no, I don't hear anything. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, or. Did you see the gaslight go down? No. I mean, if you don't see it, if you don't hear it, it's easy to believe what someone else says about my wife isn't all together.
0: Yeah, it it becomes evidence for the premise that they were told from the very beginning.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Not, uh, you know, something that they're going to try and make the wife think she's crazy.
1: Right. I had
0: one thing I I think it was, it must've been when the term gaslighting first started to be used. One of the uh, articles that I had read to explain it it made it sound like it was much more deliberate the adjusting of the gaslight level or the light levels in the house Mm -hmm. as a means of manipulating her and making her think that no, it hasn't changed when he had really changed them. But it really is just the, uh, the fact that he has lit uh, a light up in the attic causes her lights to dim. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it just by, you know, happenstance ends up being a piece of the manipulation.
1: Right. He didn't, he didn't set out to mess with the light levels. He did mess with the brooch and the letter and the, I mean, there's plenty of other things he did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that one just was sort of lucky accident.
0: (laughs) Now, in talking about how convoluted his scheme is, how long would it take you to rifle through the belongings of an attic? I mean, it... It is not a one-day task. I'm not trying to say it's a no. one-day task at all. But, but,
1: but this <laughs> seems to have gone on for months. Because at one point we we hear like that she they've been there for at least three months.
0: Mm-hmm. And They're, fairly regularly it seems like he's going up into that attic and hunting yes. for these jewels. To the point that he wants to institutionalize her so that he can search more freely through all the belongings of the attic that he's been going through for months on end.
1: Okay. We're not talking about like the basement at a museum, which you know, notoriously they have stores and stores and stores of things. Oh, look, there's an the original Da Vinci
0: we literally didn't know we had. Look at the sketchbook, <laughs> it's Da Vinci's. Oh, oh what
1: a cool. find! Right. So, again, this becomes one of those. Are we kind of stretching it a little? Or, yeah. <laughs> I, yes, I mean, I suppose you could say it's his obsession mm-hmm. so that. He has not found them, but he won't give up because he's convinced they must be there. So he has to keep searching, even though. Even though he's searched through everything, however many times.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't think I even noted it in the summary. Uh, he does find them as he's, you know, right it, it, the night that he gets caught. Uh, yes, he does. He does find mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I don't know if that's crueler or not, that he had them and they're going to be taken away from him or that he doesn't even know if they're still there. <laughs>
1: hmm. I think it would have been better if he hadn't found them because then he would still have the doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, now he knows that they were there and he lost them, but he knows mm-hmm. where and they just
0: were. Just imagine the kind of schemes he could cook up for a sequel to get out of jail <laughs> and go look for them again. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, and
0: and we know he has the patience. It wouldn't matter if it took him years.
1: <laughs> that's true. That's true. Because it, you know, he, I mean, he it is a long con.
0: The house has been boarded up for 10
1: years. Yes, that's the other thing. Really? That was your best way in? You couldn't just sneak into the house without marrying the girl? You had to pitch woo at the niece.
0: <laughs> and hope your charm got, got, you know, worked, that you could marry her. And once you're in, you're going to walk over to an abandoned house and just walk in every single night because it's abandoned. Exactly. go up to the act. Okay. The the plan is getting more and more convoluted. This is not something that really stood out to me as I watched it. It's as I wrote the summary and as we're talking through it. It's standing (laughs) out that maybe there could have been a much more efficient way. I
1: mean, it's not like it was... um... It's not like he was trying to break into, say, the Tower of London. He was trying to break into an abandoned flat. I yeah. mean.
0: Now, in his defense, this is the site of an unsolved murder. If he got caught just going in like a month later, they would probably suspect he had some connection to the murder. True. By True. waiting a decade and coming in as a legal resident <laughs> He, yes. he removes any of that suspicion. So nod to his patience. It does have some dividends there.
1: And to be fair, we have no idea what he has done in the intervening time. Perhaps he has been obsessing about various other jewels in various other countries for the last decade. Perhaps he's been a gentleman thief. Yeah, uh, Suddenly we're in to catch a thief with Carrie. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Um, but on the whole we've picked out a few nits Uh, this is a successful film and I do (laughs) recommend if you've never seen it listeners it is absolutely worth a watch uh, for both the performances which are fantastic you understand why she won the best actress award uh, both for her playing the descent into self-doubt and (laughs) borderline madness and then the turn of oh no I'm in control here (laughs) uh it is just a stunning performance and his performance as a creep is also fantastic um it, you do sense um let's see charles boyer's performance uh is 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 very good and i i think this is one of those instances where uh i think some people might watch it and say is she a little naive to not fall but i think the bigger question is how evil is he to do this to another human being <laughs> like that it, 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 it's it's he is doing something so terrible to another human being who is so trusting of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that's why we we might say, "Oh, is she being a little naive." It's because she loves him. She thinks this is her loving husband that wants to take care of her, and it doesn't cross her mind that he's going to be as evil and manipulative as he turns out to be.
1: Yes, yes. There's um. There's a there's sort of a a couple of moments that I think. Y- um, also, I mean, uh, besides what we've already talked about the moment when she's attempting to go out for a walk and she tells the maid, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for a walk. and the ch- But she goes back in and she's going to get an umbrella and the maid's like, well, what do I tell your husband? Tell him I went for a walk. Well, where are you going? And Nancy's questioning her about this and you can see her you know Ingrid Bergman is really playing the. She she wanted to get out of the house. She wanted to go and do something, and and it all just became too overwhelming for her, and so she just goes back inside. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is when she decides to go to that party anyway, and she comes down and she's dressed so nicely, and and he of course I already sent her our regrets. We're not going to go, and she's like I. I want to go. I'm going to go. And the way she's saying it, you can tell that she's, she's hesitant about, about it. She doesn't know she's feeling up to it, but she's determined to go. And so I think like that is one of those moments that you can kind of see the flash of what's going to come at the end of when she sort of takes back control. That, that she isn't completely broken.
0: Yeah. And yeah, the, that, that, that uh, exchange. And I really also quite like his performance of panic that she's standing up for himself yes. uh, in, in, mm-hmm. the, in that moment. It's another uh, like the, j- just the two of them together on screen. It's like, Oh, this is actually a really good pairing mm-hmm. uh, right here. And they're, they're bringing out good, good, good performances from one another uh, in, in that exchange. And I mean, hopefully it's become clear the term gaslighting, it's not just saying I remember it one way, you remember it another. <laughs> it yeah. is orders of magnitude beyond in manipulation. It would be, you know, planting uh evidence for your version of reality to make the other person mm-hmm. question their version of yes. reality.
1: <laughs> yes. Although whenever I hear the term gaslighting, I think of that uh that meme I saw years ago, convincing your girlfriend she's crazy or paranoid is called gaslighting and it's a dick move. But convincing her she's a robot with artificially implanted human emotions is called Blade Running. It's a Philip K. Dick move. But I'm bum. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh well, uh, Nicole, do you have any final thoughts about gas, uh gaslight?
1: I think we've I think we've pretty much covered it. I think it is really kind of one of those classics of film noir. And if you're interested in film noir, this is one of the ones that I would I would recommend. Um mm-hmm. uh it's it's worth it's worth the time.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if like you feel like you're you're a bit familiar, it's worth sitting down and watching the whole thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Nicole, you are a first time guest on the podcast, as we said, mm-hmm. and we always ask our first time guests a question about great characters because we like to celebrate great characters. If you could host a dinner party with a handful of fictional characters, who would you want to hang out with for one evening?
1: Oh, gosh. <sighs> Now you did warn me that this was going to happen and I still am, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I, I'm always a little flummoxed with things like that because there's so many people I'm like, I feel almost like, uh, Ross on that episode of friends to tie in the Isabella Rossellini thing when it was, you know, your, your freebie five. And he's like, well, first I need to divide my candidates into different categories to narrow down the list, but if pressed, I would probably say from some of my uh favorite stuff um uh harry dresden i I'm a fan of the Dresden books um uh i've been i was just re-watching uh season two of good omens, so I'd probably say aziraphale i uh I don't know if I could put up with Crowley <laughs> I mean as a pair, yes, but mm, I don't know um I like uh I also would probably invite Sophie from Leverage. She's a theater person, so we would have we would have that to to talk about. And um Leverage was that a TNT show? Huh? Yes, was that a TNT show? Am yes. I remembering the right show? Yes, it ran. Well, it ran five seasons. It won the people's like favorite TV show People's Choice Award after it had just been canceled. They did do a uh, sort of a sequel series called *Leverage Redemption*, which I think went two seasons. I don't know if they're making another one, but mm-hmm. anyway. Um, and uh, I, <laughs> I also I like uh, I like Evelyn Evelyn Carnahan from *The Mummy*
0: oh yeah that's a great choice
1: yeah um so I don't know I think I'm uh, it would be an (laughs) interesting it would be interesting
0: (laughs) (laughs) there'd be good conversations uh to be had especially Evelyn and uh (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: oh yes well and you throw Harry in there too and yeah Mm -hmm.
0: yeah Yeah. oh yeah Uh, we have we've almost had you on to talk about a Dresden Files book so that's another one we'll we'll get you back on yeah (laughs) Nicole, thank you again for coming on to talk about Gaslight. That is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you, listeners, for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows. You can go to DuelingGenre.com. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really does help us out with the algorithms. We'd like to thank Scott you who composed our theme music. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Uh, listeners, for let's see. Oh man, I lost the tab. Sorry, Andrew, we were so good. You're gonna have to edit here at the very end.